Hi, this is Jackie from the Let's Talk TEFL podcast. And joining me is Jamie from ESL Teacher 365. Hey, Jamie. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jackie. Yeah, thanks so much. So we're going to chat about teaching in Spain. And we've never had anyone on the podcast um, actually talking about, I think, teaching even in Europe. So um, it's kind of a new, new area for us. So I'm excited to get all your tips and tricks and just to hear about your experiences um, for that. Excellent. Yeah, I taught in Spain for five years in a few different ways. So I'm excited to share all that knowledge with everyone. Oh, perfect. So the host, um, myself and then Jennifer, we taught in Korea for each, I think about like 10 years or something like that. So I think people listening to this podcast have definitely heard enough about Korea. So <laughs> I think they're probably just so happy to be hearing about something different um, besides Asia, teaching in Asia. So can you tell us a bit about your background and um, how you got into ESL teaching? Sure. So I kind of always knew that I wanted to be a teacher, but ESL teacher? Not exactly. I was really interested in bilingual education. So I studied in the US to be a Spanish teacher. I did a lot of projects in bilingual classrooms. And I went to Spain and I worked as part of their bilingual program, but it was basically ESL teaching. So I do um, love Spanish as a language and other languages as well. But I kind of stumbled into teaching English because I was teaching a lot of uh, Spanish-speaking countries and it made more sense to teach English since that's my native language. But uh, yeah, I, I really enjoy um, languages, like I said, and my Spanish teacher inspired me to become a teacher. So I owe a lot to her. That's amazing. I always love hearing stories like that. Um... Yeah, people are inspired by their own kind of like language learning journey into, into teaching themselves. So absolutely. Um, and it's interesting that you've taught Span both Spanish and English. So I think that could give you like kind of a good um, background or you have like a lot of empathy for for English learners, I'm sure, because you have been a learner yourself. Definitely. So I've actually studied Spanish, Egyptian, Arabic, French, and I'm currently learning Italian. So I think that that's uh, been really helpful for my students because I can also kind of anticipate the different errors that they're going to have or, you know, different things that maybe they're not aware of, but I am because I've learned their language. So it's definitely helpful to speak the language, not only in terms of living abroad and, you know, your daily life, but as a language teacher to be able to know what kind of errors are common for your learners. That's amazing. And I know we were going to talk about teaching in Spain, but um, do you have like one or two tips for how to learn a language kind of fluently and quickly? Um, you're obviously very good at learning languages. So I'd love to hear <laughs> any, any advice that you could give us. Yeah, absolutely. So with pretty much every language that I've learned, I've had a language partner. And these days with apps and Facebook groups, the internet in general, it's really easy to find someone who's a native speaker of that language and they want to learn English. So you can just do a language exchange. So I currently meet with my Italian language partner once a week and we practice Italian, but I've done this living abroad. I always live with locals and I always find language partners as well. And that is probably my number one tip. And my second tip is that you need to be a bit aware of how you learn. So 
for me personally, I have to write down the words and then I can almost like visualize them when I'm trying to use them when I'm speaking. And so I know that that's how I process language and I learn, but it is worth it taking some time to see, are you a visual learner, auditory? Do you need to be connecting it to movements? So finding out your learning style is really important as well. Those are some great tips. And just for the people listening, that was not on my list of questions. So (laughs) we just came up with that on the spot and it was great. Thank you so much. So, um, So what was it like teaching in Spain? Okay, so I taught in Spain in three different ways. So this might be interesting as well, just because people think, you know, oh, I have to teach in a school, Mm -hmm. but there are many, many different ways to teach abroad. So the first way was as a language assistant. So I was there kind of as a native English speaker to support the local teachers in their classrooms. But in these programs, I did get to kind of run the class um, For some of them, other teachers had me pull out small groups of students and practice speaking with them or review activities one-on-one. So it really depended on the teacher. And I had about 200 students at my first school. It was a very big charter school. And then I worked at a public school as a language assistant and I had smaller classes and not as many but I also worked at an English immersion summer camp in Spain on a farm. And I also taught at an international school as a preschool and first grade teacher. So there are a lot of different ways to teach in Spain and kind of each one has its, you know, pros and cons, but it's, it's uh, probably easiest if you're a native speaker to teach as a language assistant. There's a ton of different programs that you can do. But if you are a certified teacher, there are international schools where you can teach the subject that you're certified in, but abroad. But you may be thinking, wait, you are certified in Spanish and you taught preschool. <laughs> Yeah, so not always. Sometimes these international schools will recruit kind of outside, but um, outside of the subject area, but you do need to have certain qualifications for the visa. So for language assistant programs, you typically get a student visa, whereas a summer camp or working at the international school, that's a work visa. And I actually needed my U.S. teaching certificate so that I could work at those places. And then um, I actually prefer teaching um, like adults and university students. Are there lots of opportunities in Spain for kind of the older, the older crowd? Yeah. So you can teach at academies or in company business classes are also very popular. But the issue is these jobs are a lot easier to get if you're an EU citizen. Mm -hmm. So these days with the visa, it can be a bit tricky um, if you're from outside of the EU. But there is also a freelancer visa. So a lot of English teachers will do the freelancer visa and they'll teach their own private classes or they'll also work for academies or do in company business as well. So that process can be a bit complicated and there's a lot of high taxes involved. So it's not the best option, but if you're super passionate about Spain and I lived there for five years, so I absolutely love it. It can be worth it. Ah, sounds good. I also love Spain. I did the Camino de Santiago 
a few years Ooh, ago, amazing. Actually, right before COVID. So I started in Portugal and then mm-hmm. walked to Spain and I loved basically every second of it. It was, it was <laughs> great <laughs> eating all the food. And then I was by the beaches in Portugal and um, yeah, loved it. All the old stuff. I'm from Canada, you know, so everything is like 100 years old or 200 years old all the buildings and churches and all that kind of stuff so it's like being somewhere where things are thousands of years old it's just um yeah kind of a different world and absolutely for sure all right so um jennifer and i on our podcast we love talking about esl activities of all kinds um so can you tell us maybe two or three of kind of your go-to activities in the classroom so things that you'll do pretty much every week in class. Sure. So I guess I'll talk about it in terms of kind of my two main uh, different types of schools in Spain. So as a language assistant, I had I taught in primary and I had classes of about 30 students and the poor things were, you know, in their little desks and they're all kind of crammed in one room. So I like to get them up and out of their seats as much as possible. And I brought in a lot of different uh, realia related to whatever we were studying. So I brought in clothes so we could have a fashion show. I brought in food and different things where we could practice shopping. So I think for them, that was very different because the Spanish teachers are very used to using the textbook and kind of, you know, copying and a lot of writing activities. So I really wanted to get my students moving around and speaking and creating these environments as if it were an English-speaking country. And I only ever spoke English with my students, even though I'm fluent in Spanish, which was uh, quite shocking for them when (laughs) the last day at my school after two years, I went to each class and fully spoke Spanish and their poor little minds were blown. <laughs> I love it. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. But um, yeah. And I guess just, I did a lot of different group kind of review games. So as a language assistant, um, it can be tricky because sometimes your co-teacher will just say, you know, teach this page or um, this is the vocabulary. So you're really kind of on your own to create your own activities. And luckily I had a background in teaching. So a lot of different uh, review games and flashcards were essential. Lots of different memory games and things with flashcards. Now in the international school, it was all English immersion, but I was teaching math, science, history, reading, writing, religion, all of these different classes. And it was very much like being in an American classroom, but my students weren't native speakers. So Mm. I had three-year-old students and you just kind of do everything in English. It takes them nearly the whole year, but there's a moment where it clicks towards the ends of the year and they suddenly start speaking fluent English and it's amazing. (laughs) So that was really cool. And for first grade, there was a big focus on teaching them how to read. So Yes, very different experiences being a language assistant and then being the actual teacher for primary or preschool. I Yeah, I had some very similar experiences to you, I think. I taught preschool for one year in South Korea and... Um, when they first came to the class, you know, I just was like, this is, this seems crazy. They're too little. <laughs> and then suddenly they were just speaking in English kind of a little bit fluently, like by the end of the year. And I just thought like, wow, this actually, 
they actually picked up yeah, <laughs> all it's of amazing. this stuff. And then when I teach young learners, I honestly never go into the classroom without a set of flashcards. It's like my security yes. blanket. <laughs> I just feel like good if I have a set of flashcards, if things go wrong, I'm just like, okay, I'll just play a flashcard game right now. And like, I don't know what it is. I just feel like I need that with me whenever, whenever I teach young learners, because I'm slightly less confident teaching them than I am with adults. Adults, I feel like I can just talk to you and kind of come up with stuff on the spot. But with kids, I just feel like, oh, I need this like to, to get through the class sometimes. Um, That's so true. It's like, I call it my bag of tricks. And I also had like money printed off with my face on it as a reward. So they would earn (laughs) Jamie dollars and they became obsessed with them. So that, you know, bribing little kids (laughs) can be helpful too. I did that all the time. It was totally worth however much money I spent on each class, like $20 or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So if someone is interested in teaching in Spain, um, what advice would you give them? Well, if you are a native English speaker, there are a ton of language assistant programs and there'll be kind of different responsibilities depending on which program it is. So some you are truly an assistant and others you are kind of the teacher, but the local teacher will be there to support you in terms of behavior management and things like that. But Yes, you need to decide, you know, if you're brand new to teaching um, in Spain, I would recommend there's an Auxiliares de Conversación program that is available to a few different countries, um, even the Philippines and India. So that is nice because a lot of programs don't really consider those uh, n- uh, nationalities to be native speakers, but this program will accept them. Um, and I do have a video on my YouTube channel that has a ton of info on all the different programs, but the main difference is the Auxiliares de Conversación program, there's no fee and all of the other programs pretty much will have some sort of fee involved. So that can also be something to keep in mind. Now, if you do have EU citizenship, then all you need is a TEFL certificate A bachelor's degree is recommended but not required, and you can look for jobs in um, academies. So private academies could be teaching kids or adults or in company business classes as well. So those are probably the two main routes that most people would go. And then if you are a certified teacher, there are some international schools in Spain, like the one that I taught at but there's a lot of competition because people really, really want to teach in Spain. So just kind of be aware, make sure you have some previous teaching experience, or you could do what I did and start as a language assistant, kind of make some connections, get to know people, and you can also find jobs that way. So I actually got my job because I did a master's in Spain. And one of the, uh, one of my friends that did the master's program was able to recommend me. She knew that I had a teaching certificate so I could I would, could get that work visa at the American school. But yeah, that can be a little bit tricky because it is very competitive. Yeah, I, yeah, that advice kind of applies to any country, I think, um, in terms of networking, like just getting to the country and just getting a job in your first year. And then just say I'm making some good connections and kind of moving up in the world of... Um, ESL teaching. It's, it's kind of the normal, normal route, I think. But um, as far as like TEPL certificates go, is there kind of like a gold standard or one that's like more highly recommended than the other ones? 
Yeah, in general, in Europe, Celta is usually preferred, but I would say, yeah, as long as you have like a level five, that's usually more valuable than a basic one, but Mm. it does come down to your experience. And especially if you're trying to work in academies, knowing some Spanish is going to be helpful as well, because you're going to want to negotiate your contract and your conditions and everything. So Mm. yeah, I'd say Celta is is a good one to have in Europe in general. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right. So I think that is maybe all the questions I had for teaching in Spain. Is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to mention? Anything important? Um, hmm. Well, I guess just a little bit more about some of the different programs. So I did two different language assistant programs. The first one was the Auxiliares de Conversación program. So that's the one that doesn't have a fee. And another one that I did was Usetam. So that's spelled U-C-E-T-A-M. And this one is based in Madrid and you teach at charter schools. So I first got involved with this language assistant program because I actually did my master's in bilingual education in Spain through a program called Teach and Learn at the Instituto Franklin. And they place you in a local school where you work as a language assistant and it kind of helps pay for the master's degree. Mm. So I did that my first year in Spain. And then my second year, I stayed on and renewed at my school. And this time I wasn't paying for the master's. So I got to keep my full salary, which was nice. But I'd say like the difference in the experience is that the language assistant program that I did through the masters, they basically expected me to be the teacher. So I did all of the lesson planning, preparing all the different uh, teaching materials. I taught English, art, and science. Whereas in the other program that I did my third year in Spain, I was more of an assistant. So that's where I was pulling students out in small groups or individually to work on um, usually vocabulary or speaking skills. And I did plan a few different lessons for um, specific teachers. They kind of wanted me to plan, but others would just tell me, we're doing this page today, so come up with something. Mm -hmm. So you can have a very different experience in these language assistant programs. So my recommendation is to find people who have done the program that you're interested in before um, and speak with them, see what their experience is like, but do be aware that their experience could be very, very different from yours. So I recently had um, someone on my channel who did the Auxiliares de Conversación program um, and in Cadiz, in the south of Spain, and I did mine in Madrid, and we had completely different experiences. So even though it's the same program, could be very different. But there yeah. are a lot of Facebook groups for teaching in Spain where you can find people and just get general advice on the different programs, which can be really helpful. Yeah, I think it often comes down to what school you're placed in and then the co-teachers that you're working with. Um, for things like that. Um, It can even vary from like neighborhood to neighborhood or even within the school, two teachers can have a very different experience kind of depending on who their main co-teacher is. And um, yeah, so do your research and get some advice. But yeah, it will come down to like kind of random luck in a lot of ways, whether you have- Absolutely, it really comes down to luck. (laughs) Yes, in the end. So you can do research about like, will the school pay me on time? Yes, that's true. Or like, is the housing terrible? Yes or no. But like, besides that, um, 
yeah, sometimes luck, I think. Yeah, I think it also comes down to having a bit of an open mind. And obviously, like, you know, there is going to be some cultural misunderstandings. The way that they teach could be different from the way that you're used to teaching. So you just need to be a bit open to that. But you also need to stand up for yourself when you need to. So there were definitely issues at one of the schools that I worked at. So I personally was kind of okay with the teachers, but some of the other assistants were having problems. And yeah, you just need to be ready to kind of put your foot down if there's something that you don't feel comfortable with or you don't agree with. But Mm -hmm. yeah, that open mind can make your personal experience a lot more pleasant. Yes, for sure. For sure. And just because it's different doesn't mean that it's bad. That's like the thing that I would always tell myself or just anytime I go (laughs) traveling, just because it's different, it doesn't mean it's bad. It's just different. And yeah, so that's just, yeah, I always try to keep that in my mind. So um, Jamie, what are your future plans in the ESL teaching world? Because you are not in Spain anymore. So um, yeah, that's on the horizon (laughs) for you. Well, I'm currently in Australia and I was teaching in person until the borders closed and all of the schools pretty much shut down in person. And then I joined the wonderful world of online teaching. I know some people really enjoy online teaching. Other people really miss the classroom. I personally love online teaching. So I've been doing freelance teaching, and then working for some online teaching marketplaces. I do actually teach both English and dance. I've taught both in different countries and online. So I've been doing a lot of that. But uh, yeah, my partner is actually Italian Argentine. So we do have EU citizenship and are kind of thinking about maybe wanting to split our time half half in Europe and half in Australia. We're just still coming up with our plans, but I'd love to get back in the classroom at some point. But for now, online teaching is kind of where it's at for me. Yes, yes. Um, I think lots of people made the transition to online teaching during the pandemic. And I think there are a certain number of teachers who will never, I think, go back into the classroom. Same with students, too, I think. Um, Absolutely. Who knows what the future holds, but I think it (laughs) changed the way that people do language learning in a lot of ways. All right. So I think that's it. So um, where can people find you online, Jamie? Sure. So I have a YouTube channel, ESL Teacher 365, and I do want to share a little bit about where my name came from. So I've lived abroad since 2010. So I spend 365 days a year abroad, usually. Of course, I try and visit the US when I can, but that's kind of where that 365 comes from. So I do have a YouTube channel. I talk a lot about teaching abroad and also online. And I have a whole playlist on teaching in Spain about the master's program, the different language assistant programs I did, and some of the top uh, programs you can apply to. So I would recommend starting there. I'm also on Instagram and I have a website. All of that's ESL Teacher 365. Awesome. And I'll definitely put all the links in the description for, for people to find them easily. And if you want some information about the podcast, you can find it all for our, about the Let's Talk TEFL podcast at eslactivity.org slash podcast. And yeah, I think that's it. Thanks so much, Jamie, for sharing your experiences with us. Thank you, Jackie. This has been great. Okay. Take care, everyone. Bye. <laughs>